as his remarkable personality combined. For Mark Ebor, FRS, etc., etc., was that unique combination hardly ever met with in actual life, a man of science and a mystic. As the first, his name stood in the gallery of the great, and as the second, but there came the mystery. For under the pseudonym of Pilgrim, the author of that brilliant series of books that appealed to so many, his identity was as well concealed as that of the anonymous writer of the weather reports in a daily newspaper. Thousands read the sanguine, optimistic, stimulating little books that issued annually from the pen of Pilgrim, and thousands bore their daily burdens better for having read. While the press generally agreed that the author, besides being an incorrigible enthusiast and optimist, was also a woman, but no one ever succeeded in penetrating the veil of anonymity and discovering that Pilgrim and the biologist were one and the same person. Mark Ebor, as Dr. Laidlaw knew him in his laboratory, was one man. But Mark Ebor, as he sometimes saw him after work was over, with rapt eyes and ecstatic face, discussing the possibilities of union with God and the future of the human race, was quite another. I've always held, as you know, he was saying one evening as he sat in the little study behind the laboratory with his assistant and intimate, that vision should play a large part in the life of the awakened man. Not to be regarded as infallible, of course, but to be observed and made use of as a guidepost to possibilities. I am aware of your particular views, sir, the young doctor put in differentially, yet with a certain impatience. For visions come from a region of the consciousness where observation and experiment are out of the question, pursued the other with enthusiasm, not noticing the interruption. And while they should be checked by reason afterwards, uh, they should not be laughed at or ignored. All inspiration, I hold, is of the nature of interior vision, and all our best knowledge has come such is my confirmed belief, as a sudden revelation to the brain prepared to receive it. Prepared by hard work first, by concentration, by the closest possible study of ordinary phenomena, Dr. Laylaw allowed himself to observe. Perhaps, sighed the other, but by a process nonetheless of spiritual illumination— the best match in the world will not light a candle unless the wick be first suitably prepared. It was Laidlaw's turn to sigh. He knew so well the impossibility of arguing with his chief when he was in the regions of the mystic. But at the same time, the respect he felt for his tremendous attainments was so sincere that he always listened with attention and deference wondering how far the great man would go and to what end this curious combination of logic and illumination would eventually lead him. Only last night, continued the elder man, a sort of light coming into his rugged features, 
the vision came to me again, the one that has haunted me at intervals ever since my youth, and that will not be denied. Dr. Laidlaw fidgeted in his chair. About the tablets of the gods, you mean, and that they lie somewhere hidden in the sands? He said patiently. A sudden gleam of interest came into his face as he turned to catch the professor's reply. And that I am to be the one to find them, to decipher them, and to give them great knowledge to the world. Who will not believe, laughed Laidlaw, shortly, yet interested in spite of his thinly veiled contempt because even the keenest minds in the right sense of the word are hopelessly unscientific, replied the other gently.